Welcome to Journey in the Word with Pastor Randy Mosher of Calvary Chapel of the Cumberland Valley. We are located in Hagerstown, Maryland. Please join us every weekday as our pastor takes us verse by verse through a book of the Bible. Today, we're picking up in the Gospel of Luke, where the writer emphasizes the ministry that Jesus had to the poor and hurting and our need for a Savior. All of these being validated by the Old Testament prophecies about Christ. So if you're able, grab your Bibles and join us as we continue our journey in the Word. They didn't understand even God's heart behind the law that he gave. And the rules they established, I mean, you can't get around it. They were extensive, and they were detailed, and they were absolutely burdensome, and they were inflexible. You know, some even were quite silly. I don't know if you know this, but the Pharisees considered spitting in the dirt. that, That was a violation of the Sabbath law. You couldn't spit in the dirt on the Sabbath. It wasn't the spitting that was the problem. It's what the spit did when it hit the dirt. Because spit in the Middle East hitting the dirt would then turn the dirt to clay. And guess what you used clay for? Mortar and building and working. And so now you were creating something that had to do with work. And so you couldn't spit in the clay. But added to that, it was okay if you spit on a rock and you could spit on a tree. So if you had to spit, you had to at least wait until you could get to a rock or a tree. Isn't that crazy stuff? Now, now that's going to pose a problem for Jesus, because later on he's going to confront that one specifically because we're going to find later in the account what ends up happening is Jesus heals a blind man. Do you remember what he does? He spits in the dirt in order to heal him. It's the Sabbath. He's taking it on specifically. You know, there's nothing that Jesus does. When you look at these accounts, it's accidental, and sometimes we scratch our heads, well, why would he spit in the dirt? had nothing to do with the man's healing, had all to do with what he was taking these guys on. But we look at this stuff and we think, this is crazy. Who would do this? And we laugh and it's incredibly ridiculous. But, but the Pharisees, they were dead serious about this stuff. They were dead serious about it. And quite frankly, many Jews are today. You know, Orthodox and some conservative segments of Judaism, they follow what's called the 39 Malchos. The 39 Melakot, and, and, and the 39 Melakot are 39 categories of activities that their Jewish law identifies as being prohibited by biblical law on Shabbat or the Jewish Sabbath. You know, I worked when I first enlisted in the army as a young private. I ended up being a chaplain's assistant. And uh, there's a story behind that. I'll save that one for another time. But I ended up being a, a chaplain's assistant. And and I was, first I worked in chapel supply, but then, and chaplain's assistants are nothing more than the bodyguards and the clerk typists for the chaplains, because they can't carry weapons in combat, so they need somebody with them that could do that. And so we were the ones that would do that, but we were also their clerks. And um, I ended up through a series of events working for the Jewish rabbi. He was a great guy. I mean, he was just a really nice guy. I liked him. I actually was witnessing to his son. That did not go over well. And I had just come to faith in Jesus, so I wanted to tell everybody about Jesus. So why wouldn't I tell this Jewish guy about Jesus? Because surely he wants to know. Well, they didn't want to know. But it was interesting because when they would celebrate the Shabbat on Friday nights, of course, I'd have to be there to put the food out and everything else. But when it was over, I would have to drive the rabbi home because one of the laws was he couldn't kindle a fire on the Sabbath. 
And turning on an engine to a vehicle creates a spark that creates a fire. And so he couldn't do that, but he could ride with somebody else who did. You see, you get the hypocrisy of this, right? And so I would take him home. And then on top of that, he needed to boil some water for something, tea or whatever. I'd go into the house with him and I'd have to turn on his stove for him so that he could boil his tea. And when it was done, I would turn it off and then I would leave. Now, we laugh at that and it is hypocritical and it is crazy, but this is the kind of thinking. So it's not that it went away in Jesus' day, it's still out there. And lest you think this is just an issue only with Orthodox and conservative Jews, there are Christian groups who, who and individual Christians who are equally as legalistic about the Sabbath, even today. I personally know of Christians who will not go to lunch, and I'm not mocking them, but I'm just using it as an illustration. I know Christians who will not go out to lunch on a Sunday because they believe that it causes those in a restaurant to work, which in their minds is a violation of some form of a Christian Sabbath law. Now, Besides the legalistic nature of such a belief, there's also a good argument to be made why the fourth commandment applies to God's people Israel and not to the New Covenant Church. And I just want to take a minute not to spend a lot of time on it this morning, but just to help you understand a little bit. But a lot of people suggest that since God established a day of rest after completing his work of creation, and, and since this predated the giving of the law, that this makes the Sabbath a universal law. However, and it's a big however, even though God rested on the seventh day and his rest did foreshadow a future Sabbath law, there is no biblical record at all of the Sabbath ever being celebrated before the children of Israel left the land of Egypt. So nowhere in Scripture is there any hint that Sabbath keeping was a part of the practice between Adam and Moses. It's just not in the biblical record. And even with the giving of the law, it seems clear that the Sabbath observance was a special sign between God and his people Israel, not with mankind in general. Listen carefully to the language in Exodus chapter 31. Exodus chapter 31, verses 16 and 17. Therefore, the children of Israel, the children of Israel shall keep the Sabbath to observe the Sabbath throughout their generations as a perpetual covenant. It is a sign between me and the children of Israel forever. For in six days, the Lord made the heavens and the earth, and on the seventh day, he rested and was refreshed. I mean, the language, even in the law itself, in the command itself, is made reference to Israel, not to the church, not to others, but to Israel. It is a sign, he says, between me and the children of Israel. Now, in Deuteronomy chapter 5, Moses restates the Ten Commandments to the next generation of Israelites, and, and after commanding the Sabbath observance in verses 12 through 14, he gives the specific reason why the Sabbath requirement was being given to the nation of Israel. Here's his explanation. Listen to what he says in Deuteronomy chapter 5, verses 12 through 15. Deuteronomy 5, verses 12 through 15, and pay attention specifically to verse 15. Here's what he says. 
Observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy as the Lord your God commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall do no work, you nor your son, nor your daughter, nor your male servant, nor your female servant, nor your ox, nor your donkey, nor any of your cattle, nor your stranger who is within your gates, that your male servant and your female servant may rest as well as you. Now listen, here's verse 15. And remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt. And the Lord your God brought you out from there by a mighty hand and by an outstretched arm. Therefore the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. Moses gives God's intent for for Israel to keep the Sabbath. And what he says is, it, it, it isn't that they were to remember it because of the creation, but that they were to observe it in order to remember their slavery in Egypt and the Lord's deliverance of them. Now, let's look at what the New Testament reveals about the Sabbath. Examination of the New Testament, I think, reveals four important points. Number one, Whenever Christ appears in his resurrected form and the day is mentioned, it is never on the Sabbath, but always on the first day of the week. Matthew 28, verse 1. Matthew 28, verses 9 and 10. Mark 16, if you want these, I can give them to you. But Mark 16, 9, Luke 24, 1, 13 and 15, and John 20, 19 and 26. All have these references of Jesus' resurrection. It's always mentioned in context of the first day of the week, which would be a Sunday, not the, not the traditional Sabbath of the Jews. Secondly, the only time the Sabbath is mentioned from Acts through Revelation is when it's in connection with Jewish evangelism with the setting usually being in a synagogue where the Jews have traditionally gathered. That's a connection that coincides with what Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 20. Paul says this, 1 Corinthians 9 and verse 20, And to the Jews I became as a Jew, that I might win Jews. To those who are under the law as under the law, that I might win those who are under the law. The point being that Paul's making, and others were making, is that they didn't go to the synagogue on the Sabbath because they were observing the Sabbath law for themselves, but they went there simply to be a witness to their fellow Jews who had not placed their faith in Jesus Christ and were still observing the Sabbath law, and they went there because that's where they gathered, and they went there in a way that they would not be a distraction to them and yet still have the opportunity to witness to them. He became a Jew to reach the Jews. Third, after Paul made the direct turn to evangelizing the Gentiles, and you know, Apostle Paul really was the, the apostle to the Gentiles, you know, but as he went and he became this apostle to the Gentiles, the Sabbath is never mentioned again. It's not mentioned again. And in fact, number four, instead of making any reference to the requirement for New Covenant believers to adhere to the Sabbath, the remainder of the New Testament implies just the opposite. As Paul declares in Colossians 2.16, Colossians 2.16, let no one judge you in food or in drink or regarding a festival or a new moon or Sabbath. So taking this full verse in its contextual meaning, there's no obligation to the New Testament believer to keep any kind of Sabbath observance, including any notion of a Sunday Christian Sabbath. 
And Paul makes clear why in the remainder of, of that passage in Colossians 2.17, but I want you to listen to the whole context because the whole context tells you why he concludes what he concludes in verse 17. Listen to the complete context. He says in verse 11 of Colossians 2 through verse 17, Colossians 2 verse 11, in him, speaking of Jesus, you were also circumcised with the circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, buried with him in baptism, in which you also were raised with him through faith in the working of God, who raised him from the dead, and you, being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he has made alive together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us, and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross, having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. So let no one judge you in food or in drink or regarding a festival or a new moon or Sabbath, which are a shadow of things to come. Now listen, which are a shadow of things to come, but the substance is of Christ. The substance is of Christ. Jesus is the substance of the Sabbath for the new covenant believer, not some day of the week. Jesus is the substance of the Sabbath. Everything that Sabbath law was pointing to, Jesus is the substance of it for the believer. The Jewish Sabbath was abolished at the cross where Christ, as Paul says, wiped out the handwriting of requirements. In other words, literally, that's saying he canceled the written code with its regulations at the cross of Calvary for the believer in Jesus Christ. Jesus is our Sabbath and our Sabbath rest. He is those things for us. In fact, every day, when you think about it, every day is our Sabbath rest if we are resting in Jesus Christ. And that's the idea that's clearly repeated throughout the New Testament. Listen to what Paul says in Romans 14, verses 5 and 6. Romans 14, verse 5, One person esteems one day above another. Another esteems every day alike. Let each be fully convinced in his own mind. He who observes the day observes it to the Lord, and he who does not observe the day to the Lord, he does not observe it. He who eats, eats to the Lord, for he gives God thanks, and he who does not eat to the Lord, he does not eat and gives God thanks. Paul says it's all one. And do as your conscience calls, but it's all one in Christ. In Galatians 4, verses 9 and 10, he says this. Galatians 4, verse 9, But now, after you have known God, or rather are known by God, how is it that you turn again to the weak and beggarly elements to which you desire again to be in bondage? You observe days and months and seasons and years. Paul's saying, man, you were set free in Jesus. You're no longer under these same obligations that you were under before. They're, they're, they're gone. They don't exist because you now exist in Jesus Christ, and it is a new covenant that God has made with you. Now, before you take me out and skewer me, does this mean that we shouldn't set aside a time to gather like we're doing right now, or taking a day and setting it aside to worship the Lord? Of course not. I'm not even hinting that we shouldn't. This is good. We should gather. We find throughout the New Testament uh, a record, uh, a pattern of believers gathering together on the first day in particular of the week to worship because that's the day the Lord was resurrected. 
And we also find reference, we can't get away from it, Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 25, encouraging us not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together. But the point is that it's no longer about a specific day as it had been in the law. It's not about a specific day, but it's more about why we now gather. It's why we gather. And in fact, in Jesus... Every day is a Sabbath day for us. We're to worship Him every day, not just Saturday or on Sunday, because in the greatest way possible, He gives us rest from self-effort, from sin, from striving for holiness, for striving from, for righteousness. Jesus is our Sabbath rest, and all of what the Sabbath law pointed to was fulfilled in Jesus Christ. So yeah, let's gather. Let's gather Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sundays too, you know? We could do that. But it's still not about the day that we're gathering. It's just about the fact that we are resting in Jesus. He's our Sabbath rest. Even when we're doing this, this isn't our Sabbath rest. Jesus is our Sabbath rest. We just gather to celebrate Him. So I hope that makes sense to you guys. And I know that there's a lot of bondage in Christianity over this issue, and there should not be, you know? And and sadly, I think sometimes pastors and churches have made Christians feel guilty over things that we really shouldn't. You know, when we look at the law, we've really been set free from the law, but we haven't been set free to just, to just float about, but we've been set free so that we can truly worship and we can truly honor God. You know, a number of you guys, you were not here when I taught this over the years, but you'll find as you spend time with us, you know, people ask us, and, and certainly don't take this as a hint for giving. It's not. But people will say, well, how do you guys, I notice you don't take a collection here. You know, you guys believe in tithing. And the answer is no, don't believe in tithing. We believe in giving. We believe in free will offerings. And when I look to the Old Testament, I realize that the tithe existed in the Old Testament, but I don't see it in the New Testament. It's not there. And yet, what does he say? Be a cheerful giver. Give with your heart. But see, I always take that and I make that the illustration for everything when it comes to the law. That's God's heart. He set us free from the law so that we can now engage in things that we do just out of a pure heart of worship, of wanting to worship Him. And so when it comes to giving here, we've never had a day that we've never paid a bill. We've never had that, even in the season of COVID. You know, it's just been a blessing of what God has done in the midst of this. But it isn't because we're trying to get people to keep a law. It's because we've set people free from the law. And people just do what the Lord's putting on their heart to do. And I trust the Lord enough to know that he's going to lead you in the right way if your heart's in the right place with him. You know, whether it's giving or it's it's worshiping him or it's serving him. I always say that in terms of service here. You know, people will say, well, you know, when I walked into my last church, there was an expectation. I got sized up for what I could contribute in my service to the Lord. Look, we want you to be able to serve the Lord. But at the same time, nobody's sizing you up because when I look at the scriptures, it says that God needs to move on your heart, not not some law that the church established is to push you in a direction to get you to do that. We want to come alongside of you. We want to see what God is doing in your life. We want to encourage you in the things that he's encouraging you in. And as we do that, the needs get met, you know, in the body of Christ. We've been set free from the law. And I hope you see the connection between this and even the Sabbath. We've been set free from the law. Don't be placed back under bondage to things that you've been set free from. And yet in your freedom, Find what God would have you to do that would lead to greater worship of him, because that's his heart in the new covenant. It's been fulfilled in Jesus Christ. But as we look at this, you know, these Pharisees, by the simple act, you know, of, of Jesus' disciples of picking up and rubbing grain between their hands to separate the wheat from the chaff on the Sabbath so that they could eat grain, Jesus' and disciples became lawbreakers in their mind. 
And, and this was blowing their synapses over it. And, and what's Jesus' response? Look at verse 3. But Jesus answering them said, have you not even read this? What David did when he was hungry, he and those who were with him, how he went into the house of God, took and ate the showbread, and also gave some to those with him, which is not lawful for any but the priest to eat. I want you to note Jesus' opening statement here. Have you not even read this? Have you not even read this? Now, this wasn't so much a question as it was a rebuke. Jesus rebuking these self-righteous religious men who considered themselves scholars and experts when it came to the interpretation and understanding of the Scriptures. And Jesus is saying, basically, you don't even know what you're reading. Do you even know what you're reading? You've got the Scriptures. Do you even know what they say? That's essentially what he's saying to them here. And, and he's questioning whether or not they understood it, even because they're claiming to know these things. And, and he points them to the simple account found in 1 Samuel chapter 21, verses 1 through 6, where David and his men were fleeing from Saul, and, and the priests of Nob gave them the showbread from the tabernacle to eat because they were hungry and they needed food. And he's using the scriptural account to make the case that what Jesus and his disciples were doing wasn't any kind a violation of God's law. He's challenged him to think about why it was okay for David and his men to eat the showbread from the tabernacle that was reserved for the priests alone in their worship of the Lord. And it likely, likely, although the account doesn't tell us that in 1 Samuel 21, but likely because the connection is here, it was likely on the Sabbath as well. But, but, but that somehow the Pharisees would think that it's okay for David and his men to do that, but not okay for Jesus and his disciples to simply pick and glean a little bit of wheat from, from a field to satisfy their hunger as they're moving through it on the Sabbath? And the answer was glaringly evident. Why did they think this was wrong? Because, you know, why would it be right for Jesus to do that? Because sincere human need takes priority over legalistic rituals and traditions required by the law. And most certainly it takes priority over the traditions that these self-righteous people, the Pharisees, have implemented and inserted into law on their own. You see, rejected and pursued David and his men, they were hungry. They needed food. And the priests of Nob allowed them to go into the tabernacle, into the very house of God, and to eat the showbread, which, which by God's law was reserved only for the priests alone. But given the circumstances, God made an exception to the law for them to do this. There was sin in Israel. Saul had been rejected as king, but Saul was also trying to kill the very man that God had appointed to replace him. And driven into the wilderness by Saul, David and his men, they just simply needed food. And the law concerning the showbread was never intended to be slavishly followed, you know, legalistically followed to, to, to permit a king to starve. So therefore, David did nothing wrong in eating the bread under those conditions. And now, here similarly, Jesus and his disciples, they're hungry. But the Pharisees could care less about their hunger. They could care less about it because they cared more about their law than they cared about human need. They cared more about the law than they cared about human need. And if it came down to it, they'd, they'd rather have let Jesus and others starve than to allow them to pick and glean just a little bit of wheat on the Sabbath because it violated their interpretation of the Sabbath law. So far as God was concerned, the Sabbath law was never intended to forbid 
a work of necessity. But these guys, they simply didn't know. They didn't understand or even have the heart of God behind the law in their interpretation of it. As one commentator, he said, this is exactly what many people steeped in tradition simply cannot accept. They don't believe that what God really wants is mercy before sacrifice. They don't believe that love to others is more important than religious rituals. They don't believe that the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. These, O God, you will not despise. As G. Campbell Morgan also said it well, he said, any application of the Sabbath law which operates to the detriment of man is out of harmony with God's purpose. And these men, their ideas are out of harmony with God's purpose. They're not in alignment with God's heart. And Jesus is telling them that. Look on at one more thing that Jesus says to them about this. Look at verse 5. And he said to them, the Son of Man is also Lord of the Sabbath. Now, simply put, he, Jesus, as God, and note the direct claim to divinity once again, because here Jesus is making a claim of divinity, right here. People say, I don't know, Jesus never made a claim. Yes, he does all the time. And here it is. And he's saying that, hey, as the Lord of Sabbath, I gave the law in the first place. I gave the law in the first place, and no one is better qualified to interpret its true spiritual meaning and to save us from misunderstanding than I am. Jesus saying that he had that authority to know if his disciples had broken the Sabbath law, because again, he's the one who established the Sabbath law, not these legalistic men who put themselves in the place of God. Folks, we need to be very careful about the way that we apply God's word to the lives of people. We need to be very, very careful. I'm not talking about making provision for people to do sinful things or to avoid or reinterpret passages in the Bible that clearly address and define sin and sinful behaviors or lessening the impact or the implication of those scriptures. But I am saying that we need to be very careful that, number one, we don't add our spin to the interpretation of what God says clearly in his word in order to control the behaviors of people as we think they should behave. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Journey in the Word, a verse-by-verse teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel of the Cumberland Valley. If you would like to listen to more teachings or find out more information about us, go to www.journeyintheword.org. That's www.journeyintheword.org. Thanks again for listening. We hope you'll tune in for our next episode as we continue our Journey in the Word.